The Bulldog Madness Podcast is on the road. A first for myself and for Evan. Say hi, Evan. Would it be? Does that every week? I, just, I still don't. <laughs> I, I loved your reaction the first time I did it last week, so now I got to stick with it. And another first for the Bulldog Madness podcast. We've been wanting to get him on all season long. We teased it last week. He finally listened to an episode of the Bulldog Madness podcast today because we made him listen to it. But Brett Alberry, for the first time, making his debut. How's it going, Brett? Uh, it's going very good. I'm glad to be here, but I will be driving and focusing on the road as well. But I promise to be engaged in the conversation. Brett's got his NPR voice on. Nicely done. Uh, yeah, we Listen are to the soothing tunes of Brett Alberry. We are. We are on the road, uh, so excuse the uh, the sound quality might not be the best for this episode. Working with two mics, Evan's got one in the back, might be picking up uh, a little extra road noise. But we wanted to give you the feel that you're with us in the car. What are we driving here, Ford Explorer? Uh, on the way to Boise. And we know a lot of you are going to be driving to Boise as well. Exactly. Uh, so hopefully some of you will be listening to this in your own uh drive uh but yeah we're on our way to boise covering the zags ncaa tournament nice little road trip we are what about a couple few hours about three hours about uh three actually a little closer to four hours out we're between kennewick and pendleton currently and where did we just have lunch country mercantile highly recommended for those of you driving to boise who should be going the same direction go to country mercantile you will not be disappointed don't do the through Lewiston route. That's what we're learning. Yeah, we, Evan and I got the chicken enchiladas. They were good. Brett got the fajita wrap, which he enjoyed. And uh, that, that place is overwhelming. There's a lot going on. There's tons of candy. There's chips and salsa. There's like all these dressings and sauces and marinades and spices and things that you can buy. It would have been fun to have a little more time there, but it was kind of a, a quick uh, dine and dash. Well, we didn't dine and dash, but you know what I mean kind of visit there uh but a great spot highly recommended evan right the people were ta- talking to us about it when we went to the pk80 yeah people were uh sending us tweets that we had to go there and then on the way down we kind of were like ah oh, let's just book it and get to portland let's not worry about that and then on the way back you i drove myself i think you went on vacation i did and i drove back and i was going to make a stop at country mercantile and then i was just so i was so locked in and just getting back to spokane that i pulled up the panda express and and was on my merry way after a quick meal can i can i i gotta drop in here real quick uh i don't know if you guys noticed this but i'm pretty sure that was the first time i've ever had a meal with evan and finished first did you guys notice that that's true evan does eat remarkably fast (laughs) it's a good point i will say this that he got the rap and if you're a, a a big human like myself and need to eat pounds and pounds of food in one sitting, uh, you might want to go for the enchilada where you get a couple of sides there. That's fair. That's so, fair. My, you meal, know, my meal was smaller. I'll grant you You that. just had to get That's through fair. a wrap. I had to get through some beans, some rice. <laughs> I mean, it was a whole thing. Actually, if we were to, if we, we might talk on Zag at some point in this podcast. <laughs> we'll if get we there. were to do a race between Brett drinking a chocolate shake and Evan eating an In-N-Out double-double. I'm not entirely sure who would finish first. <laughs> What about 3x3? Three three? Now, 3x3 three three, three three is too much. That might tip the scales too much in Brett's yeah. favor. But the double-double, I'm not sure who would have the edge. Ooh, I, I'm confident in my abilities. 
Last year in the Final Four, we were eating it in and out, and Brett didn't even finish his story and looks over to me and goes, hey, man, did you get your food? And I was yeah, just but, like... But he might have been able to finish his shake. I mean, he, like, he opens the hatch. It's like those... National, National Geographic pictures. It's of, like Tom Brady guzzling uh, beer. It's like an anaconda. An, an anaconda dislodges its jaw to eat uh, an antelope. You don't know how it's possible, but it is. I don't know how he does it. Brett, how do you do it? I've been I've been eating milkshakes, drinking milkshakes <laughs> like that. Well, I said eating. See, I just proved, I just proved your point. Uh, there is no there is no straw in my world when it comes to milkshakes. The first thing he does is he pops the top, kind of gives me a look. And then dislodges his jaw and just guzzles the whole thing in a ridiculous amount of time. I feel like any time, you know, you and I are having a meal together and a milkshake is involved, though, I sort of have a reputation to upkeep. So uh, I kind of to uphold, I should say. I, I feel like I kind of have to do it just as part of the show. But um, I'll try and uh, you know, at least make you guys laugh once along uh, somewhere along the road here and put a milkshake away in record time. It's, well, it'll happen more than once. It's definitely become a thing. Uh, it happens when we stop at Cougar Country down in Pullman, and it always happens on these trips. We're not, you know, we're, we've been in a lot of in-and-out destinations. We were last year, um, but not this year, at least to start, in Boise, maybe in L.A. But in-and-out's always good for the chocolate shake. Brett never turns it down, and um, always uh, quite a display of intestinal fortitude and determination to put it back the way he does. Intestinal fortitude, I like that. And this is a tease for later when we'll talk about spots in yes. Boise. Yeah, so that will be the final segment of this episode of Creme 2's Bulldog Madness podcast. I solicited recommendations for places to eat in Boise and got uh, a great number of responses. So we'll get to those. And, and for everybody else making the trip, maybe there will be some spots you hear about from us that you can try out as well. The, we'll, we'll cover a bunch of them, but we need to figure out what we're going to have for dinner tonight. So that will be at the heart of the discussion. What do we eat tonight? So that's that's how we'll finish this thing off. But uh, we're over six minutes into this thing and haven't really talked Gonzaga yet. So we should probably get to them. Um, Brett, I want to start with you because this is your time of year. This is, I mean, you, is it safe to say this is your favorite time of year to do your job? Undoubtedly. It always is. It's been that way for a long time. For full disclosure, for those of you who don't know, I'm a Gonzaga grad. Graduated in 1997 before they got awesome. They were getting, they were getting there. To, to place, to uh, put it in perspective, I was a senior and I was calling games when uh, Matt Santangelo was a freshman, our student crew, I would do play-by-play and or color commentary depending on the game. And back in those days, before everyone was lucky to watch Gonzaga, every single game was on ESPN or Channel 6 or you know wherever, Root Sports, wherever they're putting the games, um, there would only be maybe five games a year on TV for Gonzaga and it was back before Root Sports was Fox Sports before that it was Prime Sports Northwest I don't know if people remember that but that's where they would do games like five times a year all the other games we did are just our student crew so uh, that dates me back to then but um, it's it's been a fun ride and so I'm, I'm fully invested in this thing man I, I, I gotta set aside uh, Brett the fans sometimes you know when it's time to do the work but um, when we're when just the preparation for it and the drive and all this you like to that's the long answer to your question but yes this is the best time of the year for me absolutely 
Let's see. You got to ask him also. Eventually, we got to talk about the routine that Brett has on the road <laughs> uh, when he's watching the games, and and maybe we can delve into that later. No, let's about, do it now. Let's get oh, into let's it. Do it let's now. Right yeah, into okay. It. This is good because Brett actually does not watch the games in the arena. He is in the doldrums of the building, usually in the media room, watching on the TVs they have back there. And Brett, you have a story as to why you do that. Yeah, we uh, we talked about this on air a couple years ago, uh, if I recall. Yes. And uh, for those who aren't familiar, it goes back to, well, the way it kind of started was on these trips. I've, I early on I didn't always have a, a media credential that allowed me access to the court to begin with. So fast forward to the year, um, with the year that Adam Morrison was terrorizing the NCAA, scoring 28 points a game, we get down to San Jose for the Sweet 16, and uh, I got, we go in line to get our credentials, and I've got one of the credentials, like you, uh, like you fancy sports anchors get, which meant, hey, you can go out, you get to go out on the court and sit wherever you want this trip. I hadn't had that credential before, so I get it, and then the UCLA game, Gonzaga's just stomping their guts out for a while. I'm back where I always am, sitting, you know, in the uh, wherever, in the back of the arena somewhere, wherever the media room is, watching the game. And a guy named Dan Jackson, who was working with us at the time, and he was sitting out on the court because we all had the great, the good credential, you know. He comes back and he's like, hey, come out and watch the game. They're killing them, man. This is so much fun. Because they were up, you know, they got had that lead out to like 19 or whatever. It was, what, 14, 18 and a half? I forget the exact score. But so I go out there and I watch the bulk of the second half where UCLA and their team of NBA players continues to chip away at the lead, chip away at the lead, chip away at the lead. And that game ended in complete disaster for Gonzaga. I don't want to retell that whole story, but I think we all know how it ended. Gonzaga lost that game. And uh, that's the last time I sat, and now I'm a little superstitious, so that was the last time I sat courtside to watch any one of their, any part of any one of their tournament games. Haven't been, haven't been back since. Even last year, Final Four, the couple lead eights they've been to recently, couldn't do it. In the last couple of years, you've asked me when I've applied for credentials to get you one of the passes that I will la- that would allow you inside the arena. And part of me hasn't done it just because, like, I'm worried that that would mess things up for us in one way, shape, or form. But another part of me hasn't because I don't want to give you the opportunity to relive that and to have the possibility. And I also don't know if you would do it. I think even if you had a pass, I don't know that you would do that because I think you're underselling just how superstitious you actually are. I, I, what about the socks? I appreciate I appreciate that, and um, I, I'm, I'm saving you from yourself. Yes, I actually you took the words out of my mouth. You, you probably you might be saving me from myself, but just know that uh, on this trip I'll probably be hanging out in the back watching the game on a little monitor as usual, and I'll and I'll be okay with that because I, I got to get that camera ready to go when they race off the court, hopefully victoriously. I capture that moment, get ready to go in the locker room, get them afterwards. I'm good with that. Now, I do want to ask you this, Brett, because you've been going to NCAA tournaments. The first one was when? It was a 2001. 2000. I went to the first two, so they played. Uh, oh, my gosh. Do I actually have to think about this? Who they played in the first round? Was that the. 
Oh man, you might have to help me. It was uh, it was uh, no, no, no. It was uh, Louisville and St. John's. Was that that? It's first very possible year? because I know but, that Gonzaga beat St. John's. But one way or another, my consecutive streak doesn't go back to to uh, 2000 because I went to the first two rounds. I'd only been at Krem two years then, but when the Sweet 16 rolled around. I didn't get to go to that game. That was when they played Purdue, and I'm pretty sure that was in Albuquerque, right? So I wasn't at that game, but that's the last one I missed. So starting in 2001 to, it's unbelievable to think about, but all the way to today, I've been to every single tournament game since then. And so essentially you've been there for 19 years. Well, your streak is 18 years. Gonzaga has been to 20 straight NCAA tournaments at this point which is fourth best in the country as far as current active streaks go and I think I'm just wondering as we kind of go back and uh, into your mind of, of the history of Gonzaga just what are some of the standout moments and and I ask you this because I want to know where last year stands out for you as some of those other moments where maybe um, something stood out to you during the inception of this whole program well, the aforementioned UCLA moment, <laughs> I thought yeah. that team more than any team prior to last year was so unbelievably primed to get to the Final Four. And so that that uh, that was memorable um, for, for all the wrong reasons, you know, from the heartbreak. Yeah. Because uh, that next round, they would have played Memphis, and Memphis just looked like garbage that year. I'm like, oh, if those eggs, they're, they're – putting it to UCLA they're going to go on they're going to kill Memphis even if it's a low scoring ugly game and then they're going to go to the final four and we're practically punching the ticket at that point but so that one stands out um no, I mean nothing tops last year overall I mean just getting to the final four which was uh, the old, one of the ultimate bucket list things for me as a fan and as a as an employee in the job that I have I mean that was that's total bucket list for me so check that one off you know got to cover a super bowl got to cover a final four that's pretty sweet but there aren't any other years that really stand out i mean it was pretty sweet when we the, the elite eight when we ended up in houston uh darnay and i on that trip uh, just a few years back because that just didn't see that one coming at all to get that team got to the elite eight playing six six and a half guys and that was so that was just so unexpected well uh sweet 16 the 2015 was what, the, my, my yeah, yeah. So oh, two, the, the, team, the team where Wilcher, the Wilcher and Sabonis team that lost, that lost, that lost to, uh, that lost to Duke. But I, I, I was going to chime in and say that I figured 2015 would be a big year for you, just like all Gonzaga fans, because to that point, it had been a while since 2009, since they'd made it to a Sweet yes. 16 and then get to the Elite Eight and uh, have a chance to, you know, play Duke and, you know, potentially get to a Final Four. Yeah, I think uh, some of the years start to run together a little bit. Sadly, I feel like I feel like a few years ago I could just rattle off who they played in what order every single year, but we're getting so spoiled by this team that <laughs> they keep getting back. And I've been doing this for so many years now. I actually have to stop and think. All right, okay, wait a minute. 2002, who did they play in the first round that year? 2003, who did they lose to that year? It's pretty awesome to have to actually think about that, you know. Because doing it for so long well and it's fun for us and it's been fun for me to travel with you because i'm from philadelphia i went to towson university in baltimore i have no connection to the zags 
Uh, obviously, when you cover a team, you start to build a connection. You want to see them do well. It makes the job more fun, selfishly. Uh, but then traveling with somebody who is a Gonzaga grad, who's from Spokane, who is invested, has been doing it for so long, uh, adds to the experience for me. And you know, you're not you're not front facing, you know, being on camera necessarily. So you can kind of let it show and experience it more than you know people that are reporting and having to do that sort of thing because you really have to. And you do a good job hiding it while we're working. But you know, you're able to wear your Gonzaga socks and you know, a t-shirt or a hat here or there, you know, just through the course of your work day. Uh, we can't really do that for whatever our team is for the most part. And then getting to this point of the year where it's the biggest thing that we cover as a station every year. And then obviously your favorite thing makes the experience that much more fun for us. And then kind of living vicariously through you and tapping into your excitement because, um, you know, you're as big a fan as anybody that's out there. Oh, I, those are kind words. I appreciate that. I do. Uh, I, I will say, though, I like to, you know, in terms of the travel when we're doing these trips and we've done a lot of them, I'll wear my Gonzaga stuff on the off days. But still, as a as a as a member of the uh, local television media, it's it's I feel weird if I, I, I can't wear Gonzaga stuff when I'm covering the team. And hopefully people uh, <laughs> I don't know if you I don't know if appreciate that is the right word, but um I, I'm not. I don't like walking into their locker room looking like a fanboy holding the camera. <laughs> I save my Gonzaga stuff for the off days, but I'm definitely always wearing the socks on game days. And by the way, I, since you brought it up, I got two new pairs of socks this year. That's right. Not those old ratty ones. Stepping up in the world. You kind of, <laughs> you kind of mentioned something that has crossed my mind, and uh, we can we can get into that a little bit. Just how the. Uh, I don't know if perception is the word, um, but just the feel around this program has changed since 2015 because they finally ended that drought. And now they're no longer looked at as the team that can't get to a Final Four, that's going to have the tournament let down, that can't get out of the first weekend, that went from the upsetters to the team that gets upset, and all of a sudden now they're a sexy pick to make it to the Final Four. Even last year, people wanted to knock them uh, you know, the, the, the common gripe with the team was, so they haven't played anybody, they haven't been in a close game, how will they handle it? People were trying to find ways, uh, holes in the armor, so to speak, uh, reasons why Gonzaga won't finally make it to their first Final Four. Now all that is out the window, and uh, they, they've earned so much grace because of the way they performed in 2015, the surprise run in 2016, finally getting to the Final Four. It's not that long ago where the Gonzaga fan base wasn't so psyched with Mark Few and was wondering what it's going to take for this program to reach its potential and to do what Butler and Wichita State and George Mason, VCU among others, has done. It's been cool to see all that now flip and to see this program elevate to that level, do it consistently to the point now where, say, they happen to have an upset in the first round in a weekend like this. It obviously would suck for the fan base, but I think you look at it more so as it happens to Kansas, it happens to Duke, it happens to every big program. You're just on that list of teams that get knocked out when they shouldn't have in March because you're so far removed from the stuff that followed them in 2013 and around that period of time where they were unable to get to that second weekend. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it's a burden when you don't do it, and especially like a program like in Zaga because – 
You're a team that plays in a WCC. It was cute for a while. That's why they were the Cinderella story, and they made it far off the bat. You were, People were rooting for Gonzaga because they were the lovable Cinderella. But then Gonzaga overstayed its welcome. Had some lean years where they didn't perform as well in the tournament. Had some great teams that underperformed in the tournament. We mentioned the Adam Morrison year where they should have gone to a Final Four if not for a collapse in that game. Uh, we can even mention the 2012 team with Kelly Olynyk. That was a squad that was blown up and almost becomes the first team to lose to a 16 seed, then loses to Wichita State, who was probably way ahead of its time. But getting to that Final Four was so important for this program because it legitimized everything that this school does out in Spokane in the WCC. It proves that they're a powerhouse and that they're not just skating by winning winning these uh, these these games against terrible opponents, which they still are, but you know, their record is now indicative of the talent on their team instead of just playing in a weaker conference. So that was big for the program because even during this 20-year stretch I believe they've only made it to four elite eights, so uh, total. So that's—I mean—that's tough. That's—that's a—that's uh, a—that's a lot of appearances with not a lot of, of uh, quantity as far as the the pinnacle goes. But think about it. I mean, Tony Bennett uh, for Virginia is now a number one on the list of you got to get to a Final Four. I mean, you're like the—you're a great coach, but to be to be Hall of Fame worthy, like Mark Few is Hall of Fame worthy. It's only a matter of time now for him to get into the Hall of Fame. And that Final Four kind of puts that done as a done deal in my eyes. And that was the guys like Sean Miller who have that weight. Sean Mi- sorry, the, you're right. The, Sean Miller is one. The, the proverbial monkey on the back, which we enjoyed last year. Yeah, Sean Miller is one. And, and Tony Bennett's two. You got Matt Painter of Purdue. Just a lot of these coaches that, you know, you just need one team to get you over the hump. And I feel like that's a waterfall effect. You know, I will say this. What last year also did two of the most annoying narratives out there you talked about the narratives a minute ago darn a the one okay how often last year oh will this be the year Gonzaga gets to their first ever final four okay that's thankfully that's gone now (laughs) nor do we have to hear uh, a narrative that didn't even exist was can Gonzaga finally get to a national championship because no one talks about Mm -hmm. that they always talk about the final four but right well they haven't been to a championship you got to get to a final four first right so they did both of those things killed that but the one narrative I never understood, I don't remember if we talked about this much before last year or not, was this scene, it seemed to be that Gonzaga under, and I, maybe that was more of a national thing, but, oh, you know, Gonzaga uh, perennial underachievers in the tournament because they've never done that. Well, it's like you could look at the numbers, and the numbers would tell you that actually Gonzaga, it pretty much balanced out. You know, they had a couple, they've had, you know, two, three years where they under maybe underperformed just according to their seed two or three years where they overperformed according to their seed. And, but and then a lot of those years, they pretty much performed right in line with where they were seeded. We can all, as fans, be like, oh, geez, you know, we get spoiled and we want them to win, get to the Sweet 16 every year. They should have gotten They should have gotten this far. Well, that narrative always kind of bothered me. It's like, well, you know, they're pretty darn consistent. And the one stat that a lot of people don't look at very often is, man, and boy, don't let me be the one who jinxed it by saying this out loud right now, but this team so rarely loses in the first round. How many big programs, the Kansases and Dukes, is like someone comes up to bite them eventually, but Gonzaga 
has been really good about avoiding that first round exit, and that's a lot of tournaments. There's only been a few of them. Yeah, since 2008, that was the last time. And that was that was Steph Curry, right? Where they uh, they got bounced first round, and that's I mean that that that's just you know they have a chance to make it 10 straight NCAA tournaments with at least one win. You couple that with 20 straight visits, it's really phenomenal the run that they've been on, and it's. This is totally different um, and on a higher level, but like when people criticize, for instance, LeBron for losing in the finals, yeah, but he gets the finals literally every single year. And like you could, you could say something about Gonzaga back in 2013, 2014 for not getting deep, but yeah, guys, they're there, there every year. And at that point, you're at five or six straight seasons with at least one NCAA tournament win. And then now they've obviously blown all that stuff away because of what they've done the last three seasons and now have the potential for a fourth. Uh, curious just your guys' thoughts now that we've had a couple of days to digest the bracket. I mentioned a second ago them being a popular pick to, to make a deep run, to make back a back-to-back Final Four. I mean, we've all seen, who would you guys met? I know Dickie V had them as the Final Four pick. A lot of, te- a lot of you know, national um, guys have mentioned. Oh, man. Uh, Myron Metcalf, also of ESPN, had them in the Final Four. Um, I believe Matt Norlander and Gary Parrish of CBS Sports had them in the Final Four. Those guys are always locked in and know what they're talking about. Um, Man, you know what kind of scares me? Everyone's just writing off Xavier, by the way. Yeah. Everyone is – and their defensive metrics are not good for a one seed. I mean, they are ranked, I think, 59th, 56th, somewhere in that range of defensive efficiency, which is trouble come – tournament time because usually defense wins defense travels and Xavier is a top five offensive efficiency team but as we saw in the Big East tournament Trayvon Blewett had a terrible game against Providence and lost uh, if a team stymies Blewett which is something that Gonzaga did last Hello, year their identity is gone so uh, you know I kind of worry a little bit how teams just have complete like no one's picking Xavier um, that is the you know, when you say people are, are trendy on Gonzaga, it's because they're not high on Xavier. Um, yeah, sure. And that's that's always interesting to me. So it's like, who's next best? So to me, out of this thing, a lot of people actually are going Michigan-Gonzaga. That UNC isn't even in that Gonzaga rematch game in the Elite Eight. Yeah. And maybe we should quickly break down a little bit of the bracket. Um, just, you know, one is Xavier, two is North Carolina, three is Michigan, four is Gonzaga, five is Ohio State. And I was wondering how far you're going to be able to go. I rattled that off really quickly off yeah. the top of my head. I, I, I was with you I was, until that point. And then six is, uh, is eluding me right now. Uh, who would six be? Well, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to uh, use the internet to, look to pull up it up. You, yeah, you know, you probably by this time you understand the bracket. But I only know the pods that I need to worry about. Well, yeah, I think the... But you have Missouri and Florida State against Xavier if Xavier wins in the 116 game. And that's an interesting game, too, because Michael Porter's back from Mizzou, right? Yeah, and they're, they're another one of those teams that people are curious, like what kind of run can they go on because all of a sudden you get the influx of a potential top five NBA draft pick, a guy that this time last year was expected to be the number one overall pick in the 2018 season that had uh, the back injuries. Six is Houston, uh, then you go seven, Texas A&M, the 8-9 oh, matchup, right. Missouri, Florida State. State. Uh, yeah. A&M's got Providence, who is the number 10. Um, you know, they went on a nice little run in the Big East tournament. Uh, San Diego State, another team with a nice postseason push. Uh, South Dakota State, 12. Uh, and Gonzaga playing UNC Greensboro, the 13, so on and so forth. 
But it's a combination of boy the Gonzaga or boy the Zags are playing really well, and boy the the, the bracket, uh, you know, plays out nicely for them because there's nobody that really puts a huge scare in you. I mean, a ton of teams that you, you know, are are worthy of your respect, like a UNC, like Michigan, obviously what they did in the Big Ten tournament, and um, you know Xavier. Uh, but there's nobody you avoid. You know, Virginia just lost DeAndre Hunter, but you avoid them. You avoid Villanova. Heck, you avoid Duke. Um, so there's the road is just it, it sets up very, very nicely for Gonzaga to do what they did again last year. And it's been really funny seeing kind of the, the national narrative this year in the favor of the Zags as opposed to what we typically see this time of year. Can you imagine a year ago? I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, because, you, you know, we talk about all the time, oh, we, we love to look ahead to next year even while this year is going on, right? And this time last year, you're looking ahead going, well, it's obviously there's obviously going to be a dip. And anyone, you know, outside of maybe the guys in that locker room, I think you'd have been out of your mind to not think there's definitely going to be a drop-off. And obviously there is. This is not a dominant number one seed type of team. But – if you had told me the Zags were only going to lose four games and and be a four seed, I, I mean, this time last year, I would have told you you were completely out of your mind. And so, you know, I, I hope people appreciate it. And, heck, I'm a Zag fan, and I, I know I probably don't fully appreciate it. But uh, it's just it's nuts to me that they're even in this position, that people are talking about them as a legitimate Final Four and possibly national championship contender. It's amazing how many people are picking them to go that far, knowing what we knew last year at this time, which was four really, really good players are not going to be here next year. You know, it's, it's crazy to me. And that goes back to the whole thing that we were talking about a little a couple weeks ago, and uh, I've brought this up ad nauseum. Darnay, you've done it too. Just how this team is, uh, depending on how this tournament goes, could probably go down as one of the – best Gonzaga teams to come through and I don't know if people actually recognize that and again it's just great credit to Mark Few it, all the coaches to develop these guys this year because I mean you say entering the year we thought that there was going to be a huge dip uh two months ago before that Moraga game we all were like I think uh this is going to be a rebuild you know like we're just like this isn't clicking this isn't coming around and then all of a sudden Moraga was the spark that was like oh yeah remember what we saw in PK80 no these guys still can do that they still have that potential when locked in so uh the fact that Rui Rui's made such great strides from that Texas game or sorry that Florida game I mean remember that game Darnay where Rui was so lost on where to be on the court Mm -hmm. I remember a few just yelling on the sidelines I was shooting that I had a great shot of few uh just just ripping Rui because he he doesn't know anything on the defensive side of, of where his assignments are and now like once that WCC season got going and especially all those games against St. Mary's, he's in. Like, I mean, he is he is ready to to take over games. And, and Tilly has been such a, a beast. And Jonathan Williams is a double-double monster these last, uh, this last month, uh, month plus. It's like everything is just kind of rolling for the squad. And I think uh, a lot of people doubted this team. And now after the success they've had, 14 straight wins, all that stuff, 
you're like, oh, you know, this would be a trendy, a trendy pick. They, they've been there. They got the experience. And I just mentioned three guys. I didn't even mention the veterans from the team that made it to the national championship game who played significant minutes in that game in Silas Nelson and Josh Perkins. Yeah. It's been... It's been a lot of fun to see all the pieces kind of come together. We've talked about the last couple of weeks just how, and I think that's that's what stood out to me just in terms of the job that Mark Few has done the last few years. And I'm sure there's plenty of examples to their history, but we've had year after year where you're kind of wondering how the pieces fit and what does this guy do with that guy. And especially last year with all these transfers coming in, international freshman McDonald's All-American and established vets like that's a lot uh, to, to piece together and they did it and it happened way faster than we expected and this was another one of those types of years where you're wondering how the pieces fit Silas is now a starter Killian and Rui are gonna have to do more for you Jonathan Williams doesn't have Shema Karnowski and Zach Collins around with him Josh Perkins for the first time in his career is not sharing point guard duties Zach Norvell what does he bring to you and there was clearly a period where they had to figure things out and they had to learn on the fly and they took some lumps along the way Uh, but the thing that I've been most impressed with in terms of Mark Few and the coaching staff is how they've gotten these teams to gel and guys to figure out their roles and you know Norvell stepping in as a starter and you know finding success in that role and the the one area where you're not sure about is Corey Kispert and he's been little hit or miss since the injury and since he lost that starting role uh but seeing Tilly emerge the way he has Rui become you know I when he struggled against Florida but then had a great game against Texas, I, I think I assumed he'd kind of just be a flash-in-the-pan type of player all season long. He'd be great one game, invisible the next. And he's had drop-offs at points, but pretty consistent, one of the team's most consistent players through the course of the WCC. You mentioned Jonathan Williams. Uh, how, how does he get involved offensively? There's a Florida game where he's unstoppable. But it just doesn't work like that every single game. And he gets so much energy from what he does defensively and getting garbage buckets and that sort of thing. And he's found his role as kind of like a 12 and 11 type of contributor. And it really just depends from one game to the next. And nobody seems to really care if they're not getting theirs. Like, really didn't do any, much of anything against BYU after being great against San Francisco. And they have one of their most impressive wins of the entire season. So not that there's one specific formula, but they've just gelled and meshed so well together. They have a great feel for one another, great confidence, and they do it at a great time. It just kind of blows you away. Yeah, it's, it's truly remarkable where this team is, has progressed to, and it's going to be very interesting to see if they can ride that high into the tournament in Boise and take all these positives and produce now in the moment that matters because we all know that 30 wins is amazing and we got to appreciate that no matter how this season turns but at the same time your identity is determined in march and what you do and we I look think- ba- we look back at the olympic team and we look back at last year's team and their roads are completely different and we look back and we say different things about both yeah well, let's get into Greensboro yeah. and this week a little bit. Brad, I'm, I'm going to start with you because inevitably you you stop and we're, we're kind of sitting across from the table with one another, kind of getting loaded up at the arena, and you always say, oh, i got a got a weird feeling about this game. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know about this one. And there's some games where you're like, I'm not nervous at all. I feel great. Uh, what 
there's plenty of reasons why you'd feel great about a first round game. But what do you think looking ahead a couple of days will make you a little bit nervous going into this game, whether it's something that has to do with Greensboro or the setting or the team, anything like that? Well, I will say prior to the last few years, Gonzaga, there, there are a lot of good examples over the NCAA tournament history of teams getting really hot from three-point range against them. It hasn't been like that. They've guarded the – I can't back this up statistically off the top of my head, but I, it seems like these last few years – I know, was it last year they were one of the top teams in the country guarding the three-point line? Um, it was it was insane, and it was like that completely flipped because it always seemed like in the tournament, well, not every year, but a lot of years, it seemed like, oh, my gosh, they're Achilles heel. This team's getting hot. When they lost uh, in the Kelly O year to Wichita State, I mean, how hot did that team just went bonkers, you know? And, and just to touch on this, they were in the hundreds, I think 130-something in three-point defense that year. So that wasn't like – an anomaly looking back you can say okay that was their weakness and it showed up in the tournament but they've done such a good job of shoring up those areas from one game to the next and certainly have been stronger across the board in recent seasons and i haven't i haven't uh, i probably don't know as much about uh this team they're playing to begin with unc greensboro but i what you i've heard from you guys is that uh it's a, a volume shooting three team that not a great percentage but they jack up a ton of them yeah, I looked up the I looked up the numbers. So, uh, and they're 13th in attempts in the country, 23rd in makes, and like 130th or something like that in percentage. So you get them on the wrong day, it could go poorly. If they're a little bit cold, then uh, they they might not put up much resistance. Uh, exactly, and that's how many teams can. Uh, a lot of teams, I think, in the tournament are like that. It's like like. Coach Shu would be the first one to say, oh, we just didn't make shots. We got to make shots. You got to make shots. How many times has he said that, you know? And if this team makes shots, sounds like they press a little bit, maybe not so much to force turnovers, but just to make it a little harder to get the ball up the floor, you know? So if this team hits shots and they're able to slow things down a little bit uh, with their press, you know, <laughs> we'll see. But I also know that if they're not making shots and GU gets out and is able to one of the things Gonzaga always does that that early post position they're so good at that I think it's one of the things that gets overlooked like J3 gets down the floor and he gets on the block quickly and they get quick buckets in the post in transition Gonzaga could blow the doors off them quickly if they're not making shots but if they are man all bets are off and just going through some Ken Pomeroy analytics last night and looking at the matchups um, the Ken Pomeroy uh, matchup predictor is always fun come tourney time when you're trying to make picks, especially between eight and nine games. But I looked at this one, and Ken Pomeroy says that Gonzaga on a neutral court most likely wins by 10. The spread is 12 and a half. So it kind of shows you that Vegas is this entire year jacked up Gonzaga a little higher than they're probably worth. I don't, I don't think this is going to be a double-digit margin. I really don't because the big reason is that, as you alluded to, Brett, UNC Greensboro is one of the slowest teams in the country of pace of play. They get that press, as you said, not to necessarily force turnovers, but to slow you down. And as I've mentioned before, uh, teams like San Diego, who probably aren't as good offensively as UNC Greensboro, um, but slowed the game down and took Gonzaga out of its element a little bit and what they want to do, that has caused the Bulldogs fits. 
this season. That pace of play is a problem. I think Gonzaga will do better running up and down the court, especially a guy like Rui, versus a slow, methodical half-court game. Now, of course, on the flip side, you would think that Gonzaga's defense, which has vastly improved over this past month and a half, would really outwork UNC Greensboro. But then again, we know that the three-point percentages are a bit of a hit or miss. So that's why I keep looking back to this game, and I think it's a bit scarier than many people are projecting it to be just solely based on the fact that it's UNC Greensboro isn't going to let it get out of hand just solely based on the amount of possessions each team is going to have in the, in the first 20 minutes and then, of course, going into the second half. What makes me nervous, then, if you're betting on UNC Greensboro covering the spread is the run ability of this Gonzaga team and just the fact that there's been numerous instances where it's been in doubt at, like, the 8- or 5-minute mark but then it's a 12 or 15 point win. And they hit a couple threes, you hit uh, free throws, and then all of a sudden you're looking at that like 12, 13 point spread when that certainly isn't indicative of how the game has gone. The, I, I wonder just how, how different this Gonzaga team has become over the last couple weeks. Now they, they had to battle LMU a little bit more than we anticipated. Um, but Mark Fuse figured out a way to punch the right buttons, and we I think we were all expecting a grinder against San Francisco because both regular season games were, and we know how that one went. I, I, I wonder if they get into, like, recent NCAA tournament Gonzaga mode where they, they identify the weaknesses uh, or the strengths of UNC Greensboro, especially since they're a bit limited offensively in what they do. Was it Francis Alonso, I think, averages like 15 a game? Another yeah, guy, like they a, got they had three, three double-digit scores and then a guy that averages 9-9. Nine and nine. Yeah, Dickey is the 9-9 nine and nine guy, the conference defensive oh, player two, of the year. Two double-digit scores, sorry, and then the 9-9 nine yeah. nine guy. Um, but basically, Alonso's their top score, and they shoot a ton of free threes. And that, that appears to be what they do offensively. And, you know, Tommy Lloyd and those guys – Brian Michelson, Donnie Daniels have done a good job of kind of zoning in on those things when it gets to this point of the year, the tournament atmospheres, and taking away those strengths. Um, but then on the flip side of the coin, we've talked about how Gonzaga has had slow starts to these NCAA tournaments. They did it against North Dakota State. They did it against South Dakota State last year. So it's hard to really know. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised either way if we see the type of game we saw in the regular season against USF and uh, USD and then tournament against LMU, but then if we saw what we saw against BYU and San Francisco the last two games, I, I, it's it's on one side is their track record all season long, the other side is how they've been playing in the last week, and one of those two teams is going to show up, and I really at this point don't know which one. I know that's and that's really a microcosm of college basketball this season is. Uh, a lot of teams look great. I mean, Florida's a great example, right? We, we saw them in the PK-80 tournament, and that looked like a squad that, that felt like an Elite Eight game and that Florida was certainly a Final Four contender. And then it was like throughout the whole season, it's like, whoa, who they? they lost Ole Miss? Woof. So, um, yeah, I, I think that we don't know. It's just, and, and my bigger concern also is that Gonzaga against teams that 
they can't get hype for, just always come out slow this whole season against those games. And that's why I was a bit surprised that they blew out USF. But they, I think they hyped that game up. They knew that they struggled the last couple times playing them, and they said, you know, not today sort of thing. Uh, maybe maybe a switch has turned on. Uh, you just kind of hope that they're not getting blown up a little bit by becoming the media darling of, hey, this is our, our trendy pick to make it to the Final Four and go back to the National Championship because you know what? That would be a great storyline. Uh, you know, I personally think that uh, for a while now that this was a Butler 2.0 situation. I said this last week in the podcast, I believe, that I just kind of feel like this is a Butler 2.0 situation where uh, a, a team that made it, uh, made a, a glorious National Championship run um, the following year, no one really thought that they were going to be back in that spot. Butler was an eight seed, Gonzaga's a four, so we're talking about a little bit of a better team in Gonzaga. But then all of a sudden it was like, oh yeah, these guys uh, can still play. I think Matt Howard was a returning piece. Is it, didn't they lose Gordon Hayward? They did lose Gordon Hayward that year. They and played that was UConn in maybe the ugliest, least entertaining, most boring which also, national championship games of all time. Which juxtaposes last year's national championship game, which was completely stolen from us in the second half, uh, which goes to all the debates about adding another foul uh, because we didn't – Zach Collins barely played in that national championship game. Yeah. Uh, not to mention, you know, UNC also got jobbed out of some of their players, too. We just didn't see the best UNC team against the best Gonzaga team in that national championship game, and that hurt. Now, no one wants to see fouls dictate a game, especially that magnitude. So, you know, that aside, that was just another little piece. But I just always had this feeling that, you know, no one really built this team up. And it's like, hey, they're still... They're still here, and they're still very good. Maybe their star player didn't return, if you want to liken uh, Gordon Hayward to Nigel Williams-Goss. But a lot of those pieces are back, along with pieces that didn't play as big of a role last year, but might be more talented than some of the players who were on that team. Yeah, I think the, the thing that this group has going for them, and maybe similarly to the 2016 team, and uh, I think a difference from the 2015 team as well, there's that expectation that game one is just a minor hurdle to an Elite Eight or to a Final Four. And I think I, I might be wrong, but I nothing's necessarily been given to this Gonzaga team. They've had to earn it. Not like it, Like you said, not a whole lot has been expected of them. I don't know that they go into it taking anything for granted, whereas last year's team is like South Dakota State, slow down Mike Dom, you know, on to the next one. Um, it's easier to end up kind of back on your heels a little bit, more so than when you're a four seed and you've been doubted, you want to prove something, you want to follow up on what you did last year. Who knows? I could end up being dead wrong, but I think this team is is motivated in a different way than last year's team is motivated, which could help them start a little bit faster and maybe avoid some of the doldrums you see if you have a rough shooting night you have a rough shooting night and that's just one of those unknowns that it's hard to really factor in until you get to the game itself but judging from what i saw in vegas mindset wise i think you feel pretty good about where this team is yeah speaking of where they are Grant, where are we right now we're in pendleton pendleton oregon we're on the highway right in the going right through the middle of town right now. Is, there's got to be a – have you had Pendleton whiskey? Passing right you know, now Oxford Street. not a big uh, whiskey guy, no. Yeah, Pendleton whiskey. I, I'm assuming they've got their distillery here. It's good stuff. Uh, 
Anyway, so how, aside. how far do you think we are right now? Uh, well, let's see. Time-wise, it looks like uh, a little over three hours. So, well, according to this, 217 miles oh, roughly to our exit in Boise. Nice. So we're due to arrive a little before 8 o'clock, it looks like. That hour. I know. I forgot about that. Don't forget about that. You're hitting the road. You lose an hour. Uh, Brett, your, your thoughts um, as we kind of wind down are looking ahead to Greensboro, this tournament. Um, anything else in your mind? Uh, yeah. I think, you know, one thing we haven't talked about is uh, briefly what, uh, what could be the biggest Achilles heel for Gonzaga. And hopefully, you know, I, th- I think, you know, I, my gut says Josh Perkins has to play well in every single game. I just think he's that important to their team. Um, I, I just think I think they are going to struggle to win any game that he does not play well in. I just, he's that important. And I think Jonathan Williams has got to stay on the floor. I, I think they can get away with J3 maybe not playing that well and they can win, but they're better off without him on the floor regardless. I think if he gets in foul trouble, it would be a, it would be my number two uh, thing you don't want to see with them. But, you know, if Josh plays well and J3 doesn't get in foul trouble, always having to guard, you know, the other team's biggest, baddest dude, um, I think they're going to be fine and they, they can get two wins here. I, there's no doubt in my mind. I think you, you have, I think, a little bit more wiggle room with Jonathan Williams in a game like this where – the emphasis, the point of emphasis for the other team offensively isn't a player like Mike Dom. Uh, you know, I think uh, James Dickey, I believe, is is the kid from Greensboro that doesn't even average double digits, but does a lot for them defensively. You you almost feel bad for these guys when they play Gonzaga, especially a year like last, where you're their, you're their big, and then they're throwing Jonathan Williams at you, and as if that's not enough Killian and Tilly. And then, hey, Rui Hashimura can play three through five. And, heck, Jakob Larson can get some minutes. It's like, that's got to be exhausting. Free Larson. That's, that's got to be exhausting for guys like that that are, I think are able to do a little bit more through the course of the conference season than play a team like Gonzaga that just has so many big, versatile players. Yeah, and I, I do want to piggyback off of Brett's points because – you know, my three points of emphasis entering this tournament, if Gonzaga slips up, it's A, they didn't defend the three-point line well. B, Josh Perkins has one of those games that we have seen. And as you mentioned, I mean, just think back to that San Diego State loss. I mean, that was one of the worst games I've ever seen from Josh Perkins. And you go back to the WCC, it's not like Josh Perkins had great games in, a, in that run, but that's because someone else had an extraordinary game. So it took Killian Tilly to be extraordinary in the tournament to kind of minimize the fact that Perkins was not good. And so if Perkins, that's the thing about Perkins having bad games. It's not necessarily that uh, you need Perkins to have a, a, a great game, but if he does not come through and hit three-pointers, that just puts so much more of a load on the other players. Tilly can't have a bad game. He's got to have a great game. It's got Everyone's got to have a great game if Perkins has a bad game. And that's what happened, and that's what's been... And that's what's been happening, but that's just what Perkins is to this team because his nine to fifteen points are just vital. He like he cannot fade uh, into anonymity. And then also, uh, Jonathan Williams, you mentioned, is a great point because he is the, the 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 anchor that holds this team down. And I looked it up, and I believe in twenty one games uh, in his Gonzaga career, which spans now two seasons. He has played 22 minutes or less 
uh, in 21 of those games and has averaged like 7.8 points per game and four rebounds. So an eight and four guy. And of course, you play 22 minutes, you're not going to rack up as many points as you usually do, but that's a problem. Like Jonathan Williams having an eight and four game, that's not going to work. That's just not going to work. So more so on the rebounding side than on the point side, and and especially on the defensive side. So those are very salient points and certainly things to look out for and to make sure that Jonathan Williams doesn't get in trouble because he never had that concern all throughout the tournament last year and has been very good this year. But I point to the Villanova game. Remember that? Zero rebounds in that game. I think five points. Got in foul trouble. Zags never had a chance. Can I offer a defense of Josh Perkins? <laughs> of course. In that San Francisco game, this is exactly what you want from your point guard. He took two shots. Why do you think he took two shots? He didn't have to shoot. Exactly what, you, exactly what you want from your point guard. Made both his shots. Didn't attempt a three-pointer. Eight assists to two turnovers. That's exactly what you want from your point guard. You recognize who your shooters are, and you get the ball to them. In the BYU game, he was more aggressive looking for his shot, and he very easily could have gotten down to the dumps because he could not hit anything, at least from deep in that game. He was one for seven from three, so more aggressive out of the gates offensively looking for his shot, and Mark Few always talks about him hunting his shot, the importance of him hunting his shot. We've seen Josh Perkins have bad shooting nights, and it spirals, and it turns into a bad night in general for him. His floor game just goes out the window. Eight assists, one turnover. So in two games, 16 assists and three turnovers, one of those in a horrific shooting night. What more could you possibly ask for? And he was four for six in two-point attempts. We saw him get to the hoop. Uh, to get that buzzer beater at the end of the half and did some good things attacking. He was awesome those last two games. And I, I share the concern that you guys have. Uh, if they're able to continue what he did and if he takes anything from that experience, seeing that he can have a positive effect when shots aren't falling or he can kind of downplay what he needs to do offensively and get other guys involved when their shots are falling, like that, that shows me lots of good things uh, in terms of Josh Perkins and hopefully what you'd expect going forward. Yeah, and I'm not downplaying Josh Perkins, the player. I mean, he's a fantastic player. And, it, you know, I hope fans, cough breath, respect Perkins and the fact that you have a veteran guard that can lead the team and play significant minutes. I mean, uh, it's fair to talk about it. He's got a lot of pressure on him. You know, if the Zags get in foul trouble, Silas Melson's your point guard, or Zach Norvell. Yeah. Not ideal situations. No. So Perkins has a lot of pressure to play a ton, a ton of minutes. And not to mention, his assist-to-turnover ratio is f- fabulous. A- ever since that San Diego State game, that was sort of his wake-up call, to be honest. But he's really managed that very well. So... I'm not minimizing his abilities and what he's done down the stretch and the PK-80 tournament. Remember the stones he showed during some of those shots, especially that Florida game? I mean, he had a big and one. He had a couple of huge three-pointers. I mean, he was ready for that moment. So his confidence is always solid. Oh, Brett, uh, not, Brett, Brett aggressive around this I'm, bench yeah, here. Brett, wow. Brett ready to rock and roll around corners here. getting excited here. thinking about the game. this drive before that <laughs> corner kind of snuck up. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But yeah, I just think that when you get down to, you mentioned WCC tournament. Well, they, you know, they played San Francisco on BYU. He was able to manage his game better. When competition tightens and your ability to do some of those things are going to be harder. I just think that the points are going to be necessary in those type of games when you get to maybe the Sweet 16 Elite Eight than maybe what you see see in the first weekend. Uh, I just I just think that the margin for error for this team it goes down when Josh Perkins isn't scoring. And I'm not saying, again, it just in that tournament we have to do recognize that Killian Tilly played absolutely out of his mind, and I do sure. not expect him to maintain any sort of those percentages going into the tournament. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, again, yeah, he's he's super important, and when especially when he's hitting those threes, I think that was that's what was encouraging to me, because you know he has a huge impact when he's shooting from deep. It opens things up all over the floor, but when he's having a bad shooting night and then can still have such a huge positive impact, I just think that that bodes well for him. But that's one of the storylines for him, and I remember talking about it a lot early in the season is him staying out of foul trouble, and uh, right up there with Jonathan Williams, you got to keep Josh Perkins on the floor. Um, because there's not a whole lot of options behind him. Um, yeah. Uh, what do you guys want for dinner tonight? Uh, we're going to be uh, – we just came off that country mercantile, so now it's like, oh, I'm not really that hungry. Then we're going to stroll into town. I'm going to be starving. So, honestly, I want to go to the place that's got the, the most food. Well, and this is – we kind of hinted at it. When we go on these trips, <coughs> it's a lot of – quick and dirty it's a lot of meals in the arena it's a lot of late night meals a lot of time crunch and not a whole lot of opportunity to kind of take your time sit down and have a geez brett around these bends really nice (laughs) enjoyable meal i don't think it's the wind there's no wind i'd say we also sometimes on these trips have awkward exchanges with pizza guys <laughs> oh, our buddy from Salt Lake City? He was the nicest guy on earth. He was so kind, but. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, no, you, actually, we did he, not order pepperoni. He, and chicken, the yeah, he, he didn't even. It tastes pretty good. But we was like pepperoni and sausage, and it clearly, when he brought it to the table, didn't have sausage. It had chicken on it, and we caught it to his attention, and he looked at it. He's like, oh, I didn't even notice that that was chicken. Uh, he was—he was a different cat, but yeah, I liked him a lot. What do we do? Ate it anyway. Because when you have a chance to eat on these trips, that's what you do—you eat everything. So I—I I solicited some food. Um, oh, so what, what I was going to say was, this is our opportunity on a more relaxed night to sit down and have a really good meal. So we need to find a good place tonight, and I asked the fine folks on Twitter where we should go and got a ton of responses there's a chick-fil-a i know brett's not crazy about chick-fil-a you know we've done we've done it a couple times and i hadn't had chick-fil-a at all until sometime in the last few years on one of these trips and i'm not uh not completely sold but uh, you know I'll, I'll roll with you guys you know what you know i go along well you ordered the wrap though that's kind of the problem uh, i don't think you've you done chick-fil-a wrap? Wrap. i don't think you've done chick-fil-a right that uh, that is fair. I believe last time we what was it Salt Lake City? When we I think it was Salt Lake City last year. We went to that crazy mall. Yep. Trying to find yep. a Chick Fil A. We found one and then I got a wrap and I felt like everyone in that place was looking at me funny. So I won't do that again. As they should have. <laughs> I'm Evan, just saying. Evan, grab me the MiFi, <laughs> would you? This is gonna be good radio as I get the wireless and so I can more efficiently look up our restaurant options. But I got a ton of recommendations on Twitter. Um, we, 
got Freddy's Steak Burger. We got Fork, fork and Wilder. Wilder. Uh, yeah, I think fork, it's French. A uh, lot of. You there? Yeah, Fork, Great Place Downtown, Flying Pie Pizza, The Matador Downtown, uh, Tecano's Brazilian Grill. Uh, got an A rating from our buddy Brandon on Twitter. The Dutch Goose, a dive bar with amazing burgers and fingers. Do you know what a finger stick is? Never heard of such thing. No. What do you order at Cougar Country, though? Steak bites. We're talking about steak bites. Is that the same thing as a finger steak? I have no idea. All right, well, I'm all in on steak bites. You know me. And I know Evan is like, Evan lives and breathes breakfast. Oh, please get me to a good breakfast spot. That's, oh, like, that's all I need. That's all Evan wants to eat for the rest of his life. Oh, man. Kaj Cafe in Spokane. Just want to give a shout-out. Um, so I think Party we're breakfast gonna, combo. I think we're going to have options. Oh, Boise Fry Company got a lot of love. Uh, Goldie's Breakfast, Stephen Carr. Uh, he's, he's great on Gonzaga Twitter. Um, but Goldie's Breakfast, I think, is the spot that Evan's going to want to get after. Oh, 100%. Because I think they're... Everybody talks about them with their breakfast. This is the curious thing about this whole situation. Uh, where are the games being played this week, Brett? Where are they? At the Taco Bell Arena? Apparently, and somebody informed me on Twitter, they don't serve Taco Bell at Taco Bell Arena. Odd. Bold move. Seems strange. Feels like a missed opportunity. Uh, I guess they used to. You know, I wonder if there's some contractual beef um, be- no <laughs> between. Is that work there? Or no? Hey, no, no pun intended. Works there. <laughs> it's not. I mean, it's not the world's greatest beef, but uh, be- beef nonetheless. So I think we're gonna. <laughs> I think we're gonna have time for uh, Chick Fil A. Again, that'll probably be like a quick and dirty type of run. It'll be a quickie. I think we'll have time for Goldie's, you know, hopefully on a, maybe a Saturday or something like that. Stop and get a nice breakfast. A day that we leave. Maybe the day where we leave, yeah, before we hit the road, get some good fuel. So we need to figure out what's for dinner tonight. Oh, the reason I was thinking about Taco Bell is one of the places that people recommended was Tin Roof Tacos, which is apparently like right outside the arena um, and is very highly thought of from people that uh, have visited Boise. Do we have any preferences for what we eat tonight? Brett, I know you you always have some ideas. I do know that uh, last year, Red Iguana in Salt Lake City, there was that killer place in San Jose we went to. I feel like we've got some fantastic Mexican food last year, especially on those first two stops. I don't even remember having a meal in Phoenix. I was so busy <laughs> at the final four. I think I think I lost about ten pounds in about a week. But uh, you know, I, I, I'm not I'm not opposed to uh, Mexican food. But you know I me, mean, Ben. By the time we get down there, after all these miles and all this chatting on a podcast, I'm gonna be plenty hungry. So uh, you know, I'll go along with whatever you guys want. But I'm just throwing out there. It seems like we always find good Mexican food wherever we go. Yeah, I'm cool with that. Uh, I, I would like something maybe in the, the downtown area. I heard downtown Boise is actually pretty happening. So this is my first time personally going to Boise. Uh, Darnay, you've been there before? No. Uh, Brett <laughs> and I, on our way back from uh, Houston, right, after the Elite oh. Eight run, we 
So we're probably like two hours out of Spokane. Uh, I forget where we connected, probably Denver or something like that. And I'm sitting there listening to music, kind of minding my own business. And then I smell something. And I'm like, this seems not normal. I smelled like something smoking. So I was a little bit concerned, and I was just like, yeah, I'm not going to worry about yeah, it. I totally blew it off, by the way. Completely, ah, I don't know. Just some dumb plane smell. I don't know. <laughs> so I tried, to, blew it off. I tried to believe him and just listen to my music, and, and that thing wasn't going away. And I saw, you could sense like a murmur amongst the plane, like other passengers. People were noticing this. Have my headphones in. I hear something over the intercom, and it was some sort of electrical issue. Nothing we needed to worry about, so that kind of caused or calmed some concerns but they were gonna land in Boise just to be safe. And Brett was super psyched about that. We ended up not being able to get a flight from Boise to Spokane that night. Brett's contact had dried out and like his eye was about to... Put all the toiletries on the check bag. Don't do that. <laughs> Travel 101 and no toiletries in my carry-on bag. First, first mistake. So we got a voucher to stay at a love, lovely hotel near the airport. Um, and somebody recommended this burger joint that was supposed to be awesome, and it wasn't awesome. And it was not. So it wasn't the best, like, 12 hours in Boise, but that was the only time I've ever been to Boise, and I get to uh, redeem that whole experience uh, this weekend. I've had a lot of people talk about how much they enjoy the town, and uh, good food there and all that so I think there's going to be options I think we're going to be able to eat well tonight kind of going down my list I've, I'm trying to narrow it down oh Evan there's the Big Judd's challenge two pound oh that's bur- that's two what pound I was wondering burger. look we need to get me into some eating challenges here he just, heard, ta- he, he just heard the word challenge it doesn't matter what kind of food it is yeah. bring it <laughs> bring it on you're talking to um, I, I have won a hot dog eating contest in my day Seven hot dogs in ten minutes, with the buns included. You, I was going Kobayashi. Do you dip the buns in water? Yes, I did. Wow. Veteran move. I've seen enough of that stuff. Some Joey Chestnuts action, and I completely uh, regretted that. So I did it on a cruise, oh, and the reason gosh. I did it, the reason I did it, is because you would win a twelve pack of beer for free from the cruise. And if you ever been on a cruise, beer is just it's just a huge part of your budget when you're on there. Yeah, so that that's like a hundred bucks worth of beer. So I was like, you know what? This is for the greater good. It was like the second day on my cruise. I was like, this is gonna at least get me through like three days without having to buy anything outside of like you know a cocktail or a pina colada. And uh, wow, did I regret that decision? <laughs> I was like, I was like ponied up in my room. It's like first off, you don't want to have your shirt off after an experience like that. And then second, <laughs> you just feel like crud the rest of the night. You're just like, oh, I don't want to drink any of this beer because I don't want to consume anything. So it took a whole like day to overcome that experience. And then eventually I got back into the swing of things. But uh, it was an impressive performance. I smoked everybody else on that shit. So bring it on is my conclusion. I don't think we're going to do that tonight. Um, <laughs> all right, so I've, I've got a few options here. <laughs> we're so staying in different rooms, right? So it's a separate bathroom. You have your own room. <laughs> Brett and I are sharing rooms. That's because you do morning stuff. We work together typically in the evenings, and so that's just kind of how it goes. Um, but I'm, I'm looking at some options right now. Uh, we've got Tin Roof Tacos. I mean, I think that's kind of self-explanatory. It looks like they've got some good, good meat options. Brett, I don't know if there's Parks and Rec fans that are listening to this. 
but Ron Swanson is one of the great recent TV characters. And Brett has never seen an episode of Parks and Rec, but when he said this line to me about pizza in San Diego in 2014, I thought he was quoting Ron Swanson. I asked him, I was like, Brett, what do you want on your pizza? I was ordering pizza, we were working. He says, I swear this is a quote, a direct quote. He says, meat is an adequate pizza topping. You could add vegetables, but it would only make the meat worse. I immediately thought he was quoting Ron Swanson. It's the most amazing line about pizza toppings I've ever heard. Uh, anyways, so tin roof tacos. We got tacos, standard stuff, chips and salsa and guac and all that. Uh, so that will scratch the Mexican itch Brett was talking about. It gives us a, a fist pop there. Ooh. There's Tecano's Brazilian Grill, which sounds interesting. People really like Tecano's. Um, I'm just going to list off a bunch of stuff, see if anything uh, piques your interest. But as far as I know, Brazilian Grill, I mean, that's just a bunch of meat. That's just a lot. Yeah, it's just a lot of different types of meat. Is that one of those places where they, they come by yeah, and shave just, it off. they just keep giving you food? Ooh, assorted breads, fried bananas. I do love fried bananas. Ooh. Uh, skewers, uh, all types of interesting appetizers, Brazilian buffalo wings. Um, so that's something off the beaten path we don't typically get to. Uh, Goldie's Breakfast Bistro, uh, we don't need to look at that right now, but they have waffles and I'm sure they'll put fruit and whipped cream on them for you. Yeah, um, I'll have all of it. Boise Fry Company. Apparently, they put their, oh, different types of fries. Russet, purple, gold, sweet, Laura, and yams. Different cuts of fries. This is interesting. Regular, shoestring, homestyle, curly, po' balls. I don't know what that is. What What is that? Um, different types of burgers. I'm sure they're good. Um, other sides. So you can get, like, souped-up burgers, interesting fries. Apparently, they cook their fries in duck fat, so there's that. There huh. is... Uh, That's interesting. Fries are my weakness, by the way. I mean, fries, how can you go wrong? Um, flying pie pizza. Um, do we have a menu here? Why can't I find the menu? Pizza is one of our great go-tos on these trips. Pizza the pizza is more of a quickie, though. Like, I'd rather do a pizza sort of thing after a game okay, or like so after a long we're, night. We're ordering it late. All right, so we're going to scratch off the flying pie. Okay, that's fair. Uh, and then, you know, I always find like some upscale place that you guys aren't usually super excited about and then you go the classic example last year was when we were going out while a game was on and I found a place that was didn't Salt have Lake. TVs on that was in Salt Lake uh, it was around the corner from the hotel and we split a pizza and all got huge burgers it was really good we couldn't uh, watch the game but the food was so really good so much food the food was good so there's a place called Fork which is along those lines Ooh, Such a classic posh name, As by the way. Asparagus fries. Nothing says Brett Alberry like asparagus fries. No, nothing says sprouts. Nothing says foo foo like a one word restaurant name. Yeah. Fork nachos. <laughs> Sizzling Fork. lamb lollipop skillet. Let that one wash over you. Uh, all types of salads. I know. Just Brett's make sure they got TVs. Burgers, sandwiches. Well, we don't have to worry about that so much tonight. Uh, Brett and I were. Eastern Washington, oh, the CBI, baby. My bad, my bad. Sorry, sorry, that's my fault. Uh, they got Voodoo Chicken, Idaho Rainbow Trout. They got King Salmon, Braised Short Ribs, Center Cut Filet. So this is like, we want to blow out the per diem. This is that kind of that kind of night, uh, that kind of place. Chicken, chicken and cheddar waffle. I could see, 
Evan going off to eat cast iron buttermilk fried chicken and cheddar yeah. waffle. That's that, that seems like Bre your Brenner. Brenner's just as good. Uh, I will have breakfast at all hours. Slow rotisserie roasted Northwest prime rib. Okay, so we've listed off a few places. Tacos, the Brazilian place, Boise Fry Company. We're talking good fries, whatever you want, good burgers, and this fork restaurant, which is a little bit highbrow, more interesting kind of creative stuff don't normally get and certainly won't get at any other point on the trip. So, uh, Brett, have I swayed you off of Tin Roof Tacos? Do any of these other places pique your interest, tickle your fancy? The Brazilian place interests me more than anything else that you've said. The Brazilian place, funny more than because you know I'm totally checked out on the pizza for tonight because we know we're gonna have pizza at some point. Pizza's off the board, probably twice. See you later. And maybe three times. <laughs> yeah. <I'm... laughs> when you work the hours we work. There aren't that many late night options unless you want to go get Taco Bell or Jack in the Box. Like, let's go back. We got some stuff to edit. Let's go back to the hotel and order a pizza. We've yeah. done that one uh, or two or when, twenty times. When did we do that? Remember, we ordered. Uh, when did we? When did we? Was not that do Salt that? Lake City where, where Darnay you walked in with just like this monster pizza pie? That was the first night we were. No, that we, we did it in Phoenix. We did that in Phoenix. No, we did that in San Diego covering the Cougs. Oh, that's what it was. I forget what it was called, oh. but their pizzas are enormous. Darnay just comes walking through the door with these slices that are, like, you know, that to, are, like, healthy New York slices. Like, I had to walk that thing, like, a half mile, too. <laughs> All right, Evan, uh, what what are these options? What of these options most interest you? I'm, I'm kind of interested in Boise Fry Company, to be honest. Boise Fry Company. That, that seems good. A little fries, a little, like a, a, a fat burger. Uh-huh. Juicy fat burger. I can I can see myself eating that, especially being starving. Okay. Um, I'm looking to go big on this this trip. This is like the, the one, two, or three weeks where I just say, I don't really care what I put in my body. I'll worry about that when I'm home for good. So let it rip as far <laughs> as that stuff goes. So, okay, Brett, where are you? Would you do Boise Fry Company or are you... All in on Tacanos Brazilian or Tin Roof Tacos. No, I'm not all in on anything. I'll, I would do that. How late is Tin Roof? I feel like Tin Roof might actually be a late night type of spot, which would certainly serve us well, <laughs> you know, for one of these nights where it's it's late, put in a good day of work, and need a good bite to eat. That's a good call. Um, so Tin Roof might be the best option from that standpoint. Oh, no, I'm wrong. They close at 9 o'clock every night. Uh, forget all that. Samsonite, way off. Um, so, Dumb and Dumber? Been a while for Dumb and Dumber? Yeah, I, I know Darnay doesn't better. know movies. I expected you to be on the same level. Our with me, pets' heads are falling off. <laughs> so, got there no you go. Food, we got no job. Um, so, what do you think? Boise Fry Company? I'm down for boys. Yeah, that, that or Tacanos. Those seems to be the two. I'm just thinking about all. I want to see the, the different types of fries, to be honest. I feel like we can both get like, or we all can get uh, a couple true. different types of fries and all have different burgers. Nice little scene. Brett, you good with that? Yeah, I'm good with that. And by the way, a brief aside, for those of you who haven't done this drive before, we just went over a pass it's like when you get out of Pendleton, it is uphill for a long ways, forty-two hundred foot elevation. That's oh, wow. like way higher than Snoqualmie if you're uh, keeping track at home. So, oh damn, pretty impressive. Yeah. It is. It is a pretty drive. Yeah. We got some snow in the picture right now. 
and Boise Fry Company is in our future. Yep. That's the plan. That's where Lock we're it in. Tonight. Lock it in. One seed. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, one seed. Uh, I don't know when we'll be with you again. Um, I don't know if it'll be another one on this trip. Maybe after a Saturday game on a Sunday. Maybe driving back. Hey, if they, Hopefully if they, with two wins. Yeah. Another trip to L.A. in our future. Um, but we'll, we'll be with you. We'll have some Kendrick some Lamar on the way home. <laughs> Do you have a specific song in mind? W- w- welcome to L.A. Oh, that one. I mean, I can't really repeat a lot of Kendrick's lyrics. There's the, it's, there's the, yeah, there's the recipe. Yeah, uh, That's not really Brett's style. We were playing Rage Against the Machine, followed up quickly by Michael McDonald, What a Fool Believes. We have our Michael McDonald game, by the way. You're darn right, because one thing you have to do every once in a while is sing every once in a while like Michael McDonald. <laughs> <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll leave you on the best best possible we'll note we ever could. Boise. Safe travels if you're the heading to Boise. Are gonna win. Enjoy the week, everybody. <laughs>